Hello. Here we are. Spiritual gifts continue. Please be in prayer for us as we've been praying about just whether or not we're going to continue or not. We scheduled it to finish it in December and finish it the year, but we're praying through on whether to continue or not because we don't want to tax the volunteers and people that are here. So please be in prayer for us. Please pray that we have the gift of administrating for that. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and the verse that we're looking at is actually verse 28. And this is what the verse reads, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. And so I know in our slides we've been saying gift of governments. It's a synonym. If you look up the Greek word for administrating in the ESV, it'll show government. Before we jump into this, let me pray. Father, we thank you that you give us your word and that you give us all these gifts. And I pray, God, that we are able to use them for your glory. I pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to be with the people here this evening. And I pray, Lord, that they would be blessed as they came here to worship and fellowship and to break open your word and to see what things that they can glean from it. And I pray, God, that it would be more than information, that it would be knowledge that is transformative, that touches them in a way that maybe isn't anticipated. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I said, you'll find the word government also in with this, and so we'll look at this gift of administrating, this gift of government. Now, when looking at the scriptures, you know, we've been tending to look at both Old Testament and New Testament scriptures when we've been looking at these spiritual gifts. And so if we look at the Old Testament, the first place you're going to find the word government is in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And it's actually Isaiah's prophecy of Jesus. And it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus' arrival and his future return will establish God's government on the earth. We know that he will reign as king of king and kings and lord of lords. Now, what is the purpose of government? Well, it's to advance the common good, right? It's to protect the collective welfare of the respective society for its benefit so that the people may live in peace, that people can live in harmony. And so government's role is to promote good and to overcome evil. And this is a gift God has given to some, the gift of administrating or the gift of government. And this gift goes hand in hand with leadership. And so when you hear some people who say, I have the gift of leadership, more than likely they're talking about this. Because leadership is closely connected to the spiritual gift. Now, in every gift that God has blessed us with, we'll discover that each gift's greatest benefit and manifestation is when it's exercised for the glory of God. And when we exercise the gifts God has given us for our personal glory, we'll find that we've demeaned those gifts, we've devalued those gifts, and the gifts from God are for God's glory and to benefit others. We know throughout history that there have been numerous forms of government. 
you know, the monarchies, democracies, totalitarianism, socialism, communism, all these different types of government. And every form of government has its strengths as well as its weaknesses, and we know this. But one thing for certain is that sin destroys all forms of government. Really, any form of government would work if someone wholly led it, right? Or a group of holy people led it, whether that is communism. If everyone was holy within that, it would work, or socialism, or democracy, or a monarchy, or a, even a dictator. If they were holy and righteous, it would actually work. But it is sin that leaves every form of government lacking because people are covetous and they're greedy and they're corrupt and prideful. And there are a list of other things that will just ruin any type of government, which makes it so that administrating or governing people is not pure and it's not righteous. Now, the best form of government is a theocracy where God rules. And it's when people have this gift to rule to be led from God that nations, societies, churches, families are at their best. So we take a look at Moses as an example. Moses was a leader of the Israelites who was given the gift of administrating or government. And it is clear in the scriptures that Moses was governed by God. The people recognized Moses' gifting and they followed him. They told him in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 27, they were telling Moses, Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. So they acknowledged the relationship Moses had with God and that Moses was ruled by God as he governed, administrated his people. And there was this understanding that God ruled him and therefore ruled them. And we can see this in how they camped. If you look at how this nomadic people would always tear down and set up their camps, it's pretty fascinating. When they put up their camp and the tabernacle, the place of meeting, the tabernacle would be at the center of their camp. And every tribe set up their camp around the tabernacle with the opening of their tent facing the tabernacle so that the instant that they came out of their tent, they'd see the tabernacle and recognize that God was at the center. And if they came out at night, they'd see this pillar of fire above the tabernacle. And in the day, there was this cloud that reminded them that they were God's people. So it was very evident to them that they were governed by God. But then enter sin. Everything was provided for them when they were governed by God, but things changed when they rejected God's rule. And then all this tragic stuff started happening. People just started going crazy. Right? Numbers chapter 11, starting in verse 11. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant, and why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? I find this next verse very humorous. Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth? I love Moses. That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers. Where am I to get meat to give all to this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, Kill me at once. 
If I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. It wasn't until the people were filled with the Spirit that they could govern the nation well with Moses. And the gift of administrating was given to these 70 elders who would feel those grievances and those problems and why they couldn't get along or things like that. And then when they couldn't resolve those things, then they would bring that to Moses. And Moses would bring those issues to God and God would guide Moses. So people were still aware that God ruled even though God used this form of government and these people to govern. Now in regards to ruling, governing, administrating, leading, the Bible provides a lot of instruction on this topic. And we're just going to look through some verses of this. The first one we'll look at is in 2 Samuel chapter 23, starting in verse 3. And this is what it reads. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God. Now, without the fear of God, one can't govern, one can't lead, one can't administrate people well. Why is that? Because that person will lack wisdom and knowledge to do so. Psalms chapter 111, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, without the fear of the Lord, sin will overtake that person. They will be absent of knowledge. They will be absent of wisdom. They will not be able to govern well because corruption, dishonesty, greed, pride, all those types of things will seep in and they can take root. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, about the one who leads with zeal. Now, sometimes zeal is hasty. And what it does is it leads us to misrepresent God. Sometimes that zeal is good because it's an earnest zeal, but it does open opportunities to misrepresent God. One of the things that zealous people fall into the trap is, they say this pretty quickly without really thinking about it, God told me. And I know you've all met the person that says that, and they say, oh, God told me. And they have this complex about that. We've all met these people. And you talk to them and they'll be quick to tell you, you know, God told me or God said to me or whatever. And they're very confident in saying these things. When God really didn't say that to them. That he didn't mention those things to them at all. And it's really them. And they're just kind of internalizing and they're taking ownership that it was them when it was really not them. God said in Ezekiel chapter 13 verse 3, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. It's really them. People who are really following their own spirit and it's not God. And that's one of the pitfalls with those who lead with zeal. And it happens to the best of leaders. It happened to Moses, which was why he wasn't allowed to enter into the promised land. Right? Numbers chapter 20, starting in verse 2. Now there was no water for the congregation and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. 
Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went to the presence of the assembly, to the entrance of the tent meeting, and fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and he struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank in their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. See, God instructed Moses to tell the rock, to speak to it, not to strike it. Moses misrepresented God before the people as their leader. He misrepresented God's holiness. God was not angry at them about the water. That was Moses acting out of his own spirit, not the spirit of God. See, we must represent God when we lead. And often we misrepresent God, which is something I personally wrestle with in my interactions with people, in my preaching. And it's something we have to wrestle with when we're frustrated at what's happening or what's not happening at the church. Because through those processes, perhaps the Lord is actually working in you personally on an issue through the frustrations that you experience at the church, through the disappointments you experience at the church, and perhaps your ill feelings are misplaced by how you misrepresent God's heart and spirit towards His people. Maybe you're angry and frustrated at things, disappointed at things, but God isn't. And as leaders, we must lead with diligence so that we do not misrepresent God to the people that we lead. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24. The hand of the diligent will rule. Now, for us to look at the epitome of governing, ruling, leading, we look no further than Jesus himself, right? Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be the first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this wasn't just lip service from Jesus. He led by example. John chapter 13, verses 12 through 15. When he had washed their feet and put out his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. 
Jesus is our example of how to administrate, how to govern, how to lead. It is in the place of a servant. It is as a slave to serve. Paul addressed those who govern in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7. through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And so these are the qualifications of an overseer or an elder, one who governs, one who administrates the church. And just looking at these qualifications, just even the first one, don't you think it disqualifies everybody? I mean, really? To be above reproach. Is there no one in the world that can spot something out of you, whether it's my children or like your significant other, your spouse? Who's truly above reproach? And this isn't in some rank order either. Right? It's all one package that the overseer is to have. So how can one possibly meet all of these qualifications? You can't unless you are governed, led, ruled by God, led by the Spirit. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10, there's the story of a centurion who understood administrating, governing, leading, ruling. Starting in verse 5, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appearing to him, Lord, my servant is paralyzed at home suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. He said, I too am a man under authority. The centurion recognized that Jesus was not acting from himself, that Jesus submitted to God the Father. He was under the authority of God. Unless a ruler, governor, leader is truly under the authority of God, their leadership will be corrupt. We are held accountable by God and we will have to answer to God for who we are, what we do, why we do things. And if we don't recognize that and submit to that, we operate under our flesh and it opens up for sin to overtake us. And it's horrible when people act like they have ultimate authority. When heads of state or when judges act like they're gods and they're dictating for things, not submitting their own judgments or rule to that of God. And those people will answer to God and they will be held accountable for their decisions. Now one of the greatest rulers the world has ever known was humbled by God. Nebuchadnezzar, ruler of the Babylonian Empire, 
arguably the best governor, ruler, leader that the world has ever known, especially if you're looking at Daniel chapter 2 and the prophecy of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2, the Babylonian Empire, led by Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel was given this vision of a head of gold. And all of the following kingdoms, silver, bronze, iron, clay, all these other types of things, those were inferior to the Babylonian Empire, the head of gold. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's government, his leadership, his rulership, it fed his pride. And he didn't see God as the ultimate authority as he continued to rule the Babylonian Empire. So God humbled him. And here's the story of his humbling act. Daniel chapter 4, starting in verse 15. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. And so this was Daniel's interpretation of the dream. If you jump down to verse 25, that you, Nebuchadnezzar, shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of the heavens. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives to it whom he wills. So God has gifted some with administrating because this is a necessary gift. Leadership is a necessary gift. Government is a necessary gift. Moses knew how important government leadership was that he asked God for this succession plan as he was getting older. Right, in Numbers chapter 27, starting in verse 16, Moses said this, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation and you shall commission him in their sight you shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey and he shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall inquire for him by the judgment of Urim before the Lord at his word they shall go out and at his word they shall come in both he and all the people of Israel with him the whole congregation now the biggest takeaway from there, from Moses' prayer, is acknowledging that God is the one who appoints. That His Spirit is the one who needs to be at work. That whoever God chooses will be a leader who is led by the Spirit, governed by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. The leadership of a person fades, right? As they get older, their mind kind of goes that the leadership fades and they die and then they're done. But the leadership of God never dies. And the gift of administrating may be passed on from one to another, just as it did from Moses to Joshua. And when one leads who does not have this gift of administrating, it's like Isaiah chapter 9, verse 16. For those who guide this people have been leading them astray, and those who are guided by them are swallowed up. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 2 tells us, When the righteous increase, 
the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. And Jesus spoke about this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 14. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. So we see the responsibility is great for those who are in leadership and how much those in leadership need this gift of administrating. That's evident in our study so far, but what about those who are under that leadership? Because we've been speaking to leaders mostly. God has a word on how to lead, and He also has a word on how to follow. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 instructs, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Meaning, look at the results of those who have lived a righteous and godly life and follow those people. Right? Follow leaders who live godly lives, who live according to the word of God that they teach. Now you jump several verses down to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, and it reads this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, there has to be a whole lot of grace in this relationship between leaders who are sinners and those who follow them. Because there's a lot of growth that needs to take place with leaders. And the leader we can follow, everyone can follow, is Jesus. And when the Spirit has given a gift of administrating to a person. It doesn't mean that that person has arrived and, hey, that's it, just follow him, that's it. That gift, like any other spiritual gift, has to be developed and has to mature and it has to grow. And the most important thing is that the leader follows Jesus, is led by the Spirit. The ultimate authority is God and the Word of God. For those who are leaders, we know that we are to be servants, that we are to serve just like Jesus. Now I'm going to end in Hebrews chapter 13 by jumping down several more verses down to 24, and it reads this. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Leaders are far from perfect, but the thing is, is we're told to greet them. And the definition for greet is to draw to oneself. Right, to remember, to salute, to welcome, to wish well, to receive joyfully. And oftentimes we're so cynical towards our leaders. And I know that I feel this at times with some people in the church, that as I'm leading this church, I'm not greeted by everybody. And I realize that. But we need to be aware of our hearts towards our leaders. And perhaps God needs to work on that with some people within the church or some people that are kind of under civic authority with our government or even towards our president who if you have some differences but it says to greet all your leaders and all the saints so when people are called by God to lead follow those leaders as they follow God serving one another submitting to one another now at regeneration we try to follow a biblical form of administration to the best that we can. I know that we have weaknesses and we're not perfect by any means whatsoever and we need a ton of work. But the thing is, is we all agree on Jesus being the head of the church. How that manifests may look different, but in terms of what we believe and what we want to hold to, we hold that. 
and we acknowledge he is the ultimate authority and we are in submission to him as we follow him in obedience. So here we have an elder board and we meet every month to pray and look at the issues of the church. We talk about what's going on and we seek God on the direction of our church and we really try to discern the voice of God speaking to our church and we attempt to make decisions based on that. Are we perfect? Not at all. Are we even good at it? I don't know. But that's our faith step. That's what we attempt to do. And oftentimes it's personalities that get in the way and it's pride that gets in the way and it's flesh that gets in the way. All those different things that enter in for, from sinful people, it enters in here too. We are far from perfect. And I can't speak for every single individual elder, but I know for me, my greatest desire is to follow Jesus, to seek Him, to hear Him, to move with Him. And I believe that the elders have the same desire. I pray that they do. The thing is, we need your prayers. We absolutely need your prayers. We need your prayers to obediently follow the Spirit's leading. I'm going to end there, and we're just going to spend some time in prayer for our leadership. So whether that's in your home, in your workplace, for the church. And so we're also going to be having elections in District 2 for a new council member. So for our neighborhood, we need to pray for that. We need to pray for our city, our country. So if you guys wouldn't mind just getting in groups of four and five after we kind of do our worship and take communion with one another. We'll break into these smaller groups of four and five and pray for all those different layers of leadership tonight. It's eight o'clock now, so we'll end at 8.30. And unless you want to stay longer and continue in that prayer, you're more than welcome to. But let me close in prayer and invite Jane and Matt back up. Father, we are in desperate need of your gift of administrating as we lead this church that is a beacon to this community and neighborhood and city. Father, we also lift up the leaders of this district and of Oakland. Also lift up the leaders of our country. We need your help so badly, God. We've made so many poor decisions. And oftentimes we rely so much on the wisdom of man which is foolishness to you. Father, forgive us of our self-righteousness. Forgive us of our pride. I pray, Lord, for your grace and your mercy to overcome all the mistakes that we've made. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to be sensitive to your Spirit's leading, that we would hear you. In Jesus' name, amen.